Welcome to the 29th episode of the First Take Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Gadiel Cartagena, speaking with co-host Tyler Yarnell. Today we are joined by Jordan Richards from Destination Devi to rank some hot commodities before your 2020 drafts. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the First Take Fantasy Football Podcast. Today we have a super special guest in our early age of our show, probably the most special guest we've had so far. That is the man behind the scenes and really making your own content also. Some insanely good stuff coming out on YouTube. Uh, Jordan Richards from Destination Devi. Jordan, I am literally like ecstatic to have you. Like I woke up this day and like I literally felt like it was game day. Like I'm, I'm super, super ready. I'm super excited to have you. So Jordan, tell us a little about Destination Devi, what you guys do, and then we'll get into it. First of all, um, I'm not special. I'm just another guy like you guys. Um, everyone has to start somewhere, but I appreciate the intro. I appreciate that you guys are excited. I'm excited to be here when you DM me saying you want to have me on the show. I told you, you know what? Like nobody's too big for me. I'm still small. I'm still growing. I'm still working just like you guys are. And so I appreciate it so much. Um, some background on Destination Devi. Basically, I partnered with Ray probably about four or five months ago now. And basically I told him that we should be making video content because he had something he was making kind of on his own. And basically what I told him was that we can kind of turn it into something more than that. And that's when the YouTube channel started, but he was already doing so well with the podcast and he had his audio set up. So all that was good to go. I kind of just had to help him set up his video. And now, you know, we just make our weekly YouTube content where uh, we do a show that's sponsored by uh, FTN and we're doing a few different other things in between. But basically, you know, we're content creators now. He's a personality. He likes to create content. I like to create content. So now we just kind of partner together to make uh, the best content in the industry as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, um, I know I've been like kind of getting Tyler into the whole Destination Debbie thing. Uh, I'm, I'm huge on what you guys do. I love it. I think it's so cool, like being able to evaluate the talent very early on in players' careers and kind of seeing that trickle down to the NFL. But today we're talking strictly NFL. So we're going to go... Uh, I gave you a few rankums just to kind of like talk about like the hot topic players, I want to say. Um, we'll start things off with year four wide receivers. So you had a few breakouts last year, Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay, and then Cooper Cup also, I think, finishes wide receiver four in half PPR leagues and Juju Smith-Schuster. So between those four, how would you rank them going into 2020? So it's interesting. If you asked me probably two weeks ago, I would have had a different answer. But right now I have it as Kenny Galladay, Chris Godwin, Juju Smith-Schuster, and then Cooper Cup. Oh, okay. um, obviously the big surprise is Kenny Galladay at number one, looking into his stats. I think it's very difficult to see him as kind of less than what he was last year. Main reason why is he was hyper efficient. So that's where, if you get the detractors, they're going to say he was too efficient. He averaged 18 yards of reception last season. That's absurd. That's so, so high. But I think with his limited volume, he still has a reason to go up. Like I looked at his splits with Matthew Stafford which is the first eight games of the season, he would have averaged on a 16-game pace, 124 targets, 70 receptions, 1,280 yards, and 14 touchdowns, which is just insane, right? Yeah. He still had 11 this year, but that's maintaining that production throughout. Then Chris Godwin, the big reason why I think he may go down a little bit is I do think Tom Brady will spread the ball. People think that he's going to pepper Godwin with targets because he's a slot receiver. I think Brady will spread the ball around a bit, a little, oh, sorry, a little bit. And on top of that, he also averaged 2.2 yards over expected after the catch, which is a lot. Um, you know, other than A.J. Brown, he's basically right at the top in the top 10. So you could see some regression in that respect. And that's just one of the reasons why I'm, I'm not fading him. But I think that why would you buy him at that price when you can get a Kenny Galladay, a D.J. Moore cheaper oh, DJ than Moore, you get Chris so, Godwin I'm for? I'm so happy you said D.J. Moore. 
DJ Moore just makes us smile. But anyways, continue. So then you look at Juju. And so the Juju Cooper Cup debate is tough because we like, for instance, on our show, we talked about um, Juju as a value, right? A guy who could break into the top 12 pretty easily. And you just come, just come down to volume, right? Like he's a guy who, if he gets 150 targets, he's probably going to be a top 12 wide receiver guaranteed. And he's going, I think, wide receiver 18 right now. Cooper Cup, a little bit more expensive. And I could see him seeing top coverage a little bit more in certain circumstances, especially in the red zone. And I think his, his volume is great. His, his yards per target isn't the best, but I think where you're going to see a lot more production from him is hopefully he gets utilized a bit more downfield with the loss of Brandon Cooks. I still think Robert Woods is the one though. There will be a lot of volume. I'm still buying Jared Goff, but I think there's a chance that Juju could be the one at 150, 160 targets. I don't necessarily see that same ceiling for Cooper Cup. Yeah, I definitely agree with that uh, with Juju Smith-Schuster. I think it just depends on the volume that Big Ben throws the ball this season. I think that he could vary from either going like 525 passes a season to even as high as 600, just because like we know that he's a gunslinger. He's not a guy to back down from any kind of competition. Like that's just who he is at heart, even if he's coming off of elbow surgery. So I love I love the upside that Juju Smith-Schuster has. He has the opportunity to be like a like a bona fide wide receiver one this season because of that and with Cooper cup, like, like you said, I don't think that he's the number one in this offense, especially since they've been going to 12 personnel uh, when they started going to more 12 personnel in the second half of the season, the first half, they only went to it about 11% of the time. Second half, it was more 30% of the time. And when they did go to that, those second half stats really dropped for Cooper cup. He went from 7.3 catches a game to four and a half uh 99 yards a game to 46 yards so it was clear that um the 12 personnel definitely benefited Robert Woods much more than Cooper Cup so I definitely I'm definitely taking Juju there uh between Galladay and Godwin I don't blame you with taking Galladay because I think that he probably has the most upside amongst any four of these receivers just because he's so efficient he gets the most valuable targets out of any of these guys because Matthew Stafford is just going to target him downfield. He ranked ninth in dot last season, which is average depth of target with 14.6. He had 103 air yards per game. And with Stafford returning, he's going to get about 130 targets um, and was on track with 124 targets with him. Um, he's really a candidate to finish or lead the league in receiving yards because of this, especially if he keeps up the, the efficiency that he had with like 18 yards per game. So... Um, I ha- I personally had him at two because I think that Godwin is is a safer option. He was on track for 137 targets over 16 games, and I'm just a big fan of, of Chris Godwin personally. Uh, he's just I, I just think he's an absolute beast. He uh, did a lot run after catch last season. He was third amongst receivers in yards after catch with 6.7. Um, I think the biggest concern with him is the base package that they're going to go with in 2020, which Bruce Arians came out and said that they're going to go with 12 personnel, which is uh, one running back and two tight ends on the field. Um, And that, that kind of hurts Godwin because he spent 63% of his snaps in the slot. So going into 12 personnel, he's not going to be spent as much time in the slot, but um, his points per 100 plays, uh, on the outside compared to the slot in the slot, he's had about 28.2 points per hundred plays in the outside. It was only 26.1 points. 
and half PPR. So not much of a drop-off. And if you factor in the arrival of Tom Brady, probably better quarterback play. I think it's going to be more efficient passes to him. Um, They're going to be less passes, but they're going to be more efficient passes. So I see him as a low wide receiver one still, not as, as high as the wide receiver two that he finished as last season, but I still see him as a low wide receiver one. Galladay is someone that could easily finish as like a top five receiver if everything goes this way, but he's also a guy that could finish uh, outside, like in the top 15 uh, mid wide receiver two range. So uh, that's why I had Godwin ahead of him. Yeah, uh, I agree with everything you said, Tyler. Uh, I think with, with Galladay and Godwin, you're really splitting hairs. It's it's really, really just so close between the two. I think we have them seven and eight in our ranks right now. Like, that's how close it is. And then with Juju, we have him 10. Um, I see the upside 100%. Um, I believe he is the alpha in that receiving core. So I'm not really scared of – I think Deontay Johnson's ascend, like ascension helps him because he does need that X receiver that's going to kind of take away the safety coverage a little bit and open things up in the middle for Juju. I definitely think Cooper Cup is the lowest of this group, and that's not a knock on Cooper Cup. I think it's more of schematically the Rams are just not going to favor them. Like you said, that switch to 12 personnel, Cooper Cup is a zone-beating guy. And like Godwin can do both. Cup is primarily a guy that beats zone. Man coverage, he can be good at it, but with corners on the outside, it's going to be more difficult with Cup where he has – less of a route tree to run. You can't run uh, ins, outs, and everything like as, as much space as you have normally. So I think Cup is definitively the fourth. Um, really, any way you want to arrange the top three, I don't mind. But we'll move over from year four. We'll go to year three wide receiver. And I'll start off with the name that you said, my fantasy darling for this year, DJ Moore. So we got DJ Moore, Calvin Ridley, DJ Chark, and Cortland Sutton. How are you ranking these guys this year, Jordan? So right now I have it, DJ Moore, Calvin Ridley, DJ Shark, and Corlin Sutton at the back end. Um, just to give you a quick explanation as to kind of like why I see DJ Moore as a breakout, if you just look at his second half pace with Kyle Allen in that anemic offense, he would have had 154 targets, 98 receptions, 1,424 yards, and only six touchdowns on top of that, which is 17.65 points per game and would have been wide receiver four in points per game last season. And that's with an offense that isn't good, that isn't efficient, isn't run by Joe Brady. Like there is just a tremendous amount of upside for DJ Moore. And yes, it's predicated on volume, but I just don't see a situation where he, like I've, I had a conversation with somebody recently talking about him being a top five wide receiver. And to me, it's like, if you want to rank him in the top five, that's bold. But if you get him outside of that top five, seven, eight, nine, that's a value. Like there's almost no way he doesn't, when you just think about volume alone, he could see 160, 170 targets potentially, which is just insane for anybody. And I know people are going to kind of get on me maybe for Shark Shark and Ridley. Those guys are so close in my mind. Um, Like, especially whether you're looking at Dynasty or any draft, like him, McLaurin, Ridley, McLaurin, and Shark, all go in basically the same spot yep. and you're really at the end of the day it's game theory you pick the guy that gets drafted last because the outcomes for them are all very similar unless you think Ridley's going to regress a little bit in his production but for me they're all very similar then you look at Corlin Sutton Corlin Sutton's at the back and I understand why people still want him one thing to note he did lead the league in percentage of team air yards last season with 42 percent which is insane. That's insanely high for anybody. Kenny Galladay's at 33%. I believe DJ Moore was somewhere around 30%. Calvin Ridley, 23%. Shark, 33%. 
So if Sutton regresses down to that 33%, is he going to be just as efficient after the catch the way Chris Godwin was, the way DJ Moore would be, the way DJ Shark is, and Ridley, we'll see about that. I don't know if he will. When you talk about Judy coming into the league, you talk about Hamler coming into the league, these are guys are going to take up some of those air yards that used to go to Sutton. And that's one of the reasons why I think not that he won't be good, but he could potentially fall back a little bit. And on top of that, he's going to also need to score a lot of touchdowns to maintain a similar points per game production that he had last season with those limited, more, li- more likely to have limited air yards. And you put that on top of bringing in Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay, who will anchor what should be a very good rushing attack. I think Sutton may see a decrease in production overall this season. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there with Cortland Sutton. Um, another thing I wanted to note about him is that he, he's going to have to improve in his efficiency in 2020. He had a 65% catch rate with Joe Flacco. And then uh, second half of the season, I think he dealt with an injury. And they, they had, I think, Brandon Allen and Drew Locke at quarterback. And he only had a 50% catch rate with them. Uh, like you said, the, bringing in Judy and KJ Hamler definitely takes away from his air yards. Uh, he was basically the offense for them last season. He was the only consistent receiver for them. And the run game with the addition of Melvin Gordon, I think another year uh, of Mike Munchak running that offensive line will definitely benefit their offensive line as well. Uh, so, yeah, I, Corlin Sutton at four is a no-brainer for me. Between Chark and Ridley, like you said, it's super close. Uh, I think that we have them, him, McLaurin, and uh, – well, Chark McLaurin and Ridley ranked like right next to each other because like they're, they're all in the same tier. But I, I, I chose to have Chark ahead of Ridley just because there's zero competition for targets. Um, with John Filippo out of there, they're not going to throw the ball 129 times to the, to the running backs. We saw Leonard Fournette get a hundred targets last season. That's definitely going to go down. Um, he's a guy that can sp- split time between the inside and the outside of the slot and the the outside receiver I think he spent about 48 percent on the outside or inside and then 49 percent on the outside uh, along with that Jay Gruden is now his offensive coordinator who worked with Terry McLaurin last season and we saw what happened with him like he, he definitely broke out as a rookie and along with that he also helped AJ Green develop into a superstar back in his days with uh, the Cincinnati Bengals I think he spent 2011 to 2013 as the offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. So he definitely has a clear emphasis on developing talented receivers in in his offense. And I think that he can definitely do that with DJ Chark along with that. This team is going to be throwing the ball so much this season. Like I think that they could definitely rival the the Atlanta Falcons for most pass attempts uh, in the season. They they're clearly rebuilding. They got rid of like pretty much all their, good uh, defensive players. Like they got rid of Jalen Ramsey midseason. Clays Campbell uh, got rid of him for peanuts. Uh, AJ Boye for a fourth rounder. So this this defense is depleted. And I think that definitely benefits DJ Chark because Minshew is going to throw the ball uh, a lot more. And with Ridley, you know, I think it, it's just a continuation of next season or last season where – you know, he, he was the number two alongside Julio Jones. I think that he can uh, improve in his volume because Mohamed Sanu is not there anymore. Devonta Freeman isn't going to be getting as much – or he's, he's gone as well. Gurley and Hayden Hurst aren't going to be getting as much volume as uh, Austin Hooper and Devonta Freeman did. So I think that he can definitely pick up on that volume. But um, 
one of the cons that I have with with Calvin Ridley is that he really struggles with zone, and I think that he's talked about that a lot. I think it's because like he just he just so focused on his uh, man coverage, and he he doesn't really. I don't think that he really reads the reads the defense very well in zone. So um, along with that, he also doesn't do much after the catch. I think that he was uh, second amongst or second worst amongst uh, receivers uh, targeted at least ninety times in uh yards after catch with 2.2 i think first was marvin jones and overall he's just not a great uh, contested catch guy either so um i think with ridley you're really relying on volume which i think that he's going to get but along with that you're you're relying on the touchdown volume that he's going to get and if you're relying on the, the touchdown volume i don't think that that's a very good recipe for winning fantasy football leagues do, do you yeah. hold on do you know what his touchdown rate is though like for his career? I, I, I don't, but uh, I, I know it's very high. Yeah, I, yeah. he had 10 touchdowns like the, this rookie season. And, and that's, that's the only reason why I think that people need to like really not pump the brakes on the yards per the yards or the yards after the catch is that he is going to score a lot of touchdowns. If he gets 130 targets, he should be double digits, no problem. If he gets 140, mm-hmm. you know, he'll see even more than that. And that, that's one of the reasons why as much as touchdowns aren't sticky, you talk about Atlanta, they're going to throw the ball probably the most in the league and really should see double digit touchdowns. If he gets that high volume, um, that's, that's the only reason why I'm not concerned about the yards after the catch, because to me, if he can improve that he's money, right? Like everyone else is great after the catch. He's the one who isn't, if he can improve that touchdown rate should stay relatively the same. You know, that's just my opinion, but I think that I totally get your points though. I totally get it. But I think that people need to just realize that his touchdown rate is super legit. Like, it's and it's not going anywhere. If you, I, because I broke him down over the summer, and he's just filthy in the in the red zone. Oh yeah, where he's, he's, he's always in that regard. He's always going to be scoring touchdowns. Like there's as much as people want Julio Jones to get double digits, it's just not going to happen. There's it's not, not going to happen when you're there. getting double teams in in the red zone like twenty four seven, and that only benefits Calvin Ridley. Absolutely. Yeah, Ridley's my thing with Ridley is I feel like it, like we, we all know he's going to have a great year this year. Like he's he's going to see like that hundred and thirty target mark and see over a thousand yards great probably one of the best candidates for 10 plus touchdowns so like this year we know it's going to be great we have him i think at 15th uh in our rankings and like 15 between like 15 and 10 like ridley to juju isn't like the biggest gap um my thing with ridley is i feel like after this year people are going to be like buying him as if he's going to be this like alpha true number one in the nfl and i don't believe he's going to reach that i think he's benefiting a lot from playing alongside julio where obviously he doesn't see this bracketed coverage. It's one-on-one for Ridley all day. And Ridley one-on-one is literally a death sentence for the corner. Like he's going to kill him every single time because Ridley's that talented. He's that good. He's that technical with his routes. But in, in terms of dynasty purposes, I would probably like have Ridley this year, have him ball out on my team and then try to sell him high for maybe, I don't know, any, any other guy that I think could maybe keep ascending into the future. But with these ranks, yeah, Tyler, I have uh, Tyler and I pretty much came to a consensus on these, so we we obviously agree. Um, the only thing with Chark over Ridley is just I think Chark could be. I think there's a potential for him to see like insane volume, like maybe 150 targets. And given the type of player that he is, it's like he's gonna do a lot of downfield work and also score touchdowns. Maybe not get those 10 plus that Ridley gets, but I think Chark is a great candidate to go maybe like 1,300 yards eight touchdowns and something like that. I mean, the ceiling is really high given that they're going to be passing so much. 
Um, I agree Sutton is someone that, I mean, I have him on my dynasty team, but like at the same time, not really feeling that great about him in redraft just because of all the other, like we've never seen an alpha wide receiver have the team draft one first and second round receivers. Like there's no precedent for that. So it's kind of unex like we don't know what to expect with Sutton, but these Judy and Hamler are so legit that I think it'll definitely affect Sutton. And I think we have him in like the mid early twenties right now, just because it's hard to put him over a bunch of those other names that I believe have more upside and DJ Moore, obviously, Jordan, you laid it out perfectly. He's, he's just special. Like, everything about him has been elite to this point. And I don't know why people have this, like, oh, Robbie Anderson, Curtis Samuel. Like, if you're worried about them, shame on you. Because DJ Moore is just – he's the definition of an alpha receiver. Every, his, his profile athletically is elite. College production, elite. NFL early career production, elite, despite having awful quarterback play. Like – Put him in a situation, this dude is balled out, and this is the best situation he's been in probably his entire time playing football. So I think DJ Moore is just like one of the easiest guys that we have him ranked number five right now. Like he's right there four and five with Tyreek Hill. That's like our like mid wide receiver one tier. That is where DJ Moore belongs to me. And we've caught some heat for it on Instagram. People think we're crazy, super high on DJ Moore, whatever. I don't care. Um, he's going to see that 150, 160 type volume. And he's a special player. He can do a lot of things after the catch, contested catch, everything that you want a true number one to do, DJ Moore does. And that's, that's what I really love about him. Um, we'll move forward from wide receivers. We'll go to breakout RB1. So this is a super, super fun tier for me. So we have Miles Sanders, Joe Mixon, Josh Jacobs, and Nick Chubb. How are you ranking these? I'm literally super excited. <laughs> okay, so this one, I think it's going to ruffle a lot of feathers. And so... I num my number one, I'm going to put Josh Jacobs. Yes. And, yes, and honestly, you. the main, the main reason for that is, is partially how I build my teams. Right. So I'll get into a bit of philosophy for how I build my teams. And we'll talk about that later as well. But I think that Jacobs has the best mix of ceiling floor and price. Right. You look at someone like Miles Sanders, Joe Mixon, and even Nick Chubb, most of the time, those guys are going higher than Josh Jacobs. So you're getting Josh Jacobs at a value already. And then you look at what he did last season with his forced missed tackles, all that data. That's great. I don't like to lean on it too much because of David Montgomery coming out of college, whatever. But <laughs> you look at his potential workload. You look at Gruden being pissed off that he didn't win rookie of the year over Kyler Murray. And I just see a situation where Jacobs could be very special. On top of that, he already has a great rushing floor in Oakland with a great offensive line and an offense that I believe is ascending. A little tidbit for you guys. I am buying Derek Carr in literally every single league that I'm in every dynasty league, pretty much every redraft league. I have bought Derek Carr because he's going like quarterback 30 off the board, which is just insane for a guy who threw for 4,000 yards and back-to-back -back seasons. And they just added three great pass catching weapons, Lynn Bowden, Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, who's just balling out in camp. Right. So to me, Josh Jacobs is the safest because if that offensive, if that offense improves, that pass game improves, Josh Jacobs will then see better run lanes also potentially see some receiving work. And I love that for him. Now we get to Miles Sanders at two. Miles Sanders has the best mix of ceiling and floor because obviously we don't know what that committee is going to look like. We don't know what's going to happen there. But as far as I'm concerned, Miles Sanders is going to be a workhorse and could honestly be a top five running back this season. Then again, we get into Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb, great running back. Great, great running back. Could lead the league in rushing pretty easily. Should see some receiving work with Kareem Hunt taking some of that. I'm not really worried about his floor, but he is maybe a little bit ceiling capped. That's why I have him at three. Now we get to Joe Mixon. Right. Joe Mixon is kind of like everyone's favorite running back right now. He's basically RB7 behind Clyde Edwards-Alaire in Dynasty rankings. 
He's going a little bit later in redraft. But to me, I honestly, I am not, I don't know how you guys feel about Joe Burrow. I am not the biggest believer for year one. I get the offense. I, I get the offense, but like, if you actually pay attention to the value of all these guys, they are getting Burrow bumps like across the board, whether it's T Higgins, whether it's Tyler Boyd, the only one who's actually a decent price is AJ green because of what his ceiling like potentially could be. But you look at Burrow and he's a great quarterback in college, but he still has to come into the NFL game, learn the new defenses, be able to take that offensive line. That was a piece of shit last season and make them good on top of like, they did try and improve it, but he still has to do his job as a quarterback to manipulate that line, get the ball out to his receivers. And I just don't know if I believe in Joe Mixon to be that guy. And for the Bengals to be that good, I think for the Bengals to be really good, they need Joe Mixon to be good. And they need Joe Burrow to be good. And I just don't believe in either of those things. And that's why I think that Joe Mixon kind of fall behind the wayside in some games where he's not getting that volume on the ground and they just pass the ball 30, 40 times a game. Yeah, um, Tyler, sorry, I'm going to go first here just because I You're just, good, man. Josh go Jacobs, whenever Josh Jacobs is, like, heard, like, I swear, I find every Josh Jacobs tweet and I, I respond to it, whether it's good or bad, just because, I, like, Josh Jacobs, is, he's my guy. Like, I did a YouTube video on him, actually inspired by you guys and your film room thing that you did on Calvin Ridley. So, shout out to that because I, that, that kind of gave me the idea in doing so. But with Josh Jacobs, um, I was just looking at stats earlier and I was trying to see, like, because obviously – I don't really know how you quantify being the face of a franchise, but Josh Jacobs, like when you look at these running backs, like face of the franchise for the Eagles, Carson Wentz, face of the franchise for the Bengals. Um, I mean, probably Joe Burrow. They're probably going to be building things around him for the Browns. You have Baker and Odell, I guess. Nick Chubb is really, really good though. I'm not like doubting Nick Chubb at all, but I think for the Raiders, your best player in your entire franchise is Josh Jacobs. I think, that's a pretty good recipe for like it, it, you can't quantify it. I don't know how to quantify. It. I tried my hardest to do so. And I found in terms of over 100 yard games. So CMC obviously led the league. He had a hundred yards from scrimmage in 13 of 16 games last year. Josh Jacobs had nine and that was out of 13 games. So if you extrapolate that to 16 games, you're looking at a guy that had 11, that would have been second in the league last year. And you're looking at a team, like you said, is ascending, not descending. They are getting better. Like Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, they add another element to this offense. The defense is getting a little bit better. The offensive line is still going to be really good. Uh, Colton Miller can get better as a tackle. Josh Jacobs is going to, like, I, people have him ranked outside at sometimes, like the top 12, top 14. I saw Jacobs at 17 the other day. I was very angry. And I couldn't even, like, tweet about it just because I was so hot. And, I, like, I couldn't even – like respond to the person. It was, it was ludicrous to me. But anyways, with Josh Jacobs, it's like you're looking at a guy that he's, he was on pace for 300 plus touches last year and he's playing with a broken shoulder. You know Gruden is not going to draft a guy round one and just not pass him the football. DeAndre Washington left. Lynn Bowden came in. Like he's good. He can kind of do everything. He doesn't do anything at an NFL level yet, in my opinion. He could be really good. But Josh Jacobs is going to be the receiving back, not on third and longs. That'll be Jalen Richard. But like third and short, Josh Jacobs is going to be in there for the lack of predictability. And I think what the Raiders are doing is building their team the right way. And right now they're building it around Josh Jacobs. So in the second round, I'm going to be the biggest beneficiary of that. I'm going to have Josh Jacobs everywhere. I'm pissed I didn't get him in a dynasty league this year, but I'm I'm working on it. Josh Jacobs, he's one of my favorite, favorite players to get. And then we'll move forward from that. I also have Miles Sanders too. I believe Miles Sanders is the worst football player of these four, 
but I also believe he is in the best situation of these four. So he's, and that's only because of how he played beginning of rookie season. So we saw those flashes at the end. He, he got much better as a running between the tackles, which is where I believe his ceiling lies. I think the receiving work for him is a given. I think Miles Sanders just needs to get better between the tackles and be kind of like a dominant force on the ground in order to really command that rush share along with the receiving share that those elite, elite running backs have. But he probably, of the guys that could probably finish number one overall, he might be like one of the latest dark horses to do so because he's going to see that highly valuable role in a highly potent offense. So with Miles Sanders, he's number two for me there. With Joe Mixon, I think, once again, you're splitting hairs with Mixon and Chubb. Uh, The only reason I have Chubb fourth is because Kareem Hunt is there, so that ceiling is capped in terms of the way that I would like to have them. If I had Nick Chubb as my RB1, I would rather have him fourth out of all these guys. But if Nick Chubb was my RB2, then I would be fine with Nick Chubb pretty much over any of these guys because it's safe. Like, you know Nick Chubb is going to go for, like, at least 1,700 yards total, and that's a pretty good bet to make in fantasy football. Um, I'm not scared of – Kareem Hunt's going to get the receiving work, obviously. Um, I just think it'll, like, cap his overall number of touches. I think both are involved in the receiving game. Um, That's just how I feel about the Browns this year. And Joe Mixon is someone that it's it's really hard to predict because he did ha- he did sprain his ankle last year and that led to some really really disgusting performances where everyone is out on him. He was getting sold for like Jamison Crowder in some leagues, like some really disgusting stuff we saw with Joe Mixon. And then you look at the end of the year, like he was dominant. He dominated like against my Patriots. He absolutely dominated the Patriots. He kept that a close game, and that was really really eye opening to me. He's a super 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 talented back and. Yes, the offense might struggle a little bit, but I could also see them more volume-wise really depending on Joe Mixon to kind of get things going. So I think he could see maybe 40 to 50 catches this year and see like maybe even 300 carries on the ground if they're not getting killed. Um, That's the problem with them. They might just be a really bad football team again. But I think Zach Taylor is an offensive mind that he kind of – he struggled his first year, but I think he's going to figure out ways in order to maximize the talent. And I think Joe Mixon right now – the way they stand, he's the most talented player on that offense. He isn't the face of the franchise, but he is the most talented player given A.J. Green's, like, lack of consistency with injury and whatnot. All right, so that's enough with my kind of rant about those running backs. Tyler, I want to hear about your – I know we differed a little bit here. How are you ranking these four this year? Yeah, I'm not going to say much about Josh Jacobs. I think that we can all agree that he's the number one guy here. He's just in the best opportunity to um, – just put up safe numbers. He, like you said, Jordan, like he has the the highest floor and possibly the highest ceiling amongst these guys. Uh, between Chubb and Sanders, I was really split on these two because I, I was I'm pretty high on Chubb just because of the situation that he's in. Like they they got rid of Freddie Kitchens, who was just disgusting as a as a head coach and just running an offense, and they brought in Kevin Stefanski, who we just saw last season gave running backs 503 touches in 2019. And they ran a lot of 12 personnel and they also improved their offensive line this past season or this off season. They brought in Jedrick Wills through the draft and they, they signed Jack Conklin. So they got two solid offensive tackles. They also brought in Bill Callahan as their offensive line coach who worked with the Washington Redskins as of recent. And then before that worked with the, the Dallas Cowboys during like, I think the, the early 2010s. So he's, He's a he's a pretty good offensive line coach, and I think that they've had a pretty clear emphasis on improving that offensive line. So I think that 
Chubb's efficiency is definitely going to continue to improve this season. Obviously, the biggest issue here is is Kareem Hunt being present. And I think that definitely caps his ceiling here. And that's the only reason why I had Miles Sanders ahead of him. Along with that, Sanders is probably in the best situation out, out of these four guys. Like, they, they have an elite offensive line. Uh, Doug Peterson's a very good offensive-minded coach. Carson Wentz is a very good quarterback. They ran 12 personnel more than anybody in the league last season at 52% because they have two very good tight ends between Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. So um, I, I definitely like – I'd love to have Miles Sanders as my RB2 because he's someone that from a week-to-week basis, he has a lot of upside. He's volatile, but he has a lot of upside. And, yeah, that, I just love to have that as my RB2 because I, I kind of look for security at my RB1 and then RB2. Uh, someone that could really win me my weeks is what I'm looking for. And he's also going to have a lot of pass catching volume in this offense because they just, they're kind of lacking weapons. Like they have Zach Ertz and Jalen Rieger is probably going to be their, their leading target amongst the receivers. So uh, Miles Sanders is someone that can get a lot of receiving volume, probably more than anybody amongst these four. And then with Joe Mixon, I just think that he's so game script dependent like we saw that when they were down a lot in, in games last season, they just brought in Giovanni Bernard. I knew that a lot because I was an owner of Joe Mixon early on in the season. So whenever they were down, like I think that they started 0-8 or 0-9. So every single time they, they were just like getting clapped, they just brought in Gio Bernard and Joe Mixon was like completely quiet the second half of games. So um, yeah, that, that's just not something that I want as my RB1 and – Overall, I mean, I'd be okay with him as my RB2, but, like, he's going at such a high price tag. Like you said, I think he's going RB7 right now. A lot of people are very high on Joe Mixon. Like, I'm just not buying that. And so I probably won't be getting a lot of shares of him this season. Yeah. Um, one thing you were saying with Miles Sanders, you would love him as your RB2. You can't even get him as – like, before you could get him as an RB2, but now I think it's, like, it's expired. Like, uh, Josh Jacobs is actually the one that's turned into an RB2, and Miles Sanders is, like, I think – right behind ch um deservingly so because we've all expected them to go out and get somebody and be like oh he's not gonna get that in between the tackles work but they haven't like i've i've been wrong i've been proven wrong by howie roseman i thought they were gonna go out and get a lamar miller uh devonta freeman and that hasn't happened so that vote of confidence alone from the eagles who are a very very well-run organization i think tells you everything you need to know about miles sanders improvement going to next year um he could very easily set the nfl on fire i personally just josh jacobs is my player he's my guy the way he plays football is less explosive more cerebral but at the end of the day he's just so so incredibly talented um love watching his film so we'll move on from those running backs we'll talk about the running backs everyone hates to talk about and that is the aging running backs. so we'll have this tier of four that a lot of people have pretty much said this entire four is on their do not draft list but us as fantasy football analysts always have to find value everywhere. With that being said, we have these four running backs, Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley, David Johnson, and Melvin Gordon. Jordan, how are you ranking these this year? Okay, this is sort of tough for me. This is probably the hardest one that you threw at me. And so I'll tell you basically, I have, I'm going to put these guys in buckets. You have Lev Bell for me clearly at the top. 
um, because volume is king. I think he'll be more efficient. They uh, bumped up our offensive line. Sam Darnold takes a step up. And I think those pass weapons are questionable enough that his target volume will still be there. So I, I actually still do like, like Lev Bell a lot. And I'm buying him a lot in Dynasty right now in kind of those win-now mode teams because he's super cheap. He goes in like the seventh, eighth round. Yeah. I've been picking him up a lot in um, redraft as well. But it's just not the best spot to get a running back in redraft, whether you're yeah. paying like the probably late fourth, fifth round to get him. Not a big fan of that. I like going running back earlier. But then you look at Melvin Gordon, Todd Gurley. This is easily the hardest decision for me. I put Melvin Gordon ahead of Todd Gurley simply because of health. That there is no other, there's no other determining factor there. I think it's that close. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the value of these two guys is, but I just see that the Denver Broncos may have to lean on that run game a little bit more. And if Todd Gurley is leaned on, he's going to break down. So week to week, yeah. we're not going to be able to count on Todd Gurley's touches. We may see some boom weeks, some three touchdown weeks. Like I forget when I looked it up, but I think Devontae Freeman had like, I think it was 13 red zone targets last season or something crazy like that. So Gurley may see those types of targets. Cause I remember someone I was talking to was talking about how Atlanta passes a lot in the red zone but they still pass the running back in the red zone. So Gurley should be fine there. But I just think Melvin Gordon is just a safer option. He should be able to see those 15 to 20 touches a game. I do think that Philip Lindsay may be a problem. I'm not going to go as far to say he will be a problem, but he may be a problem. And then there's leading the trip, leading at the back there, David Johnson. I just can't, I can't buy a guy who got benched last season, you know, like as much as he may have been hurt, all these different things, he was that bad. And so to me, if you're going to lean on a guy who is that bad, I think it's just he has to be in a void unless you're going straight up zero RB and you have like three top five wide receivers, a top tight end, a Patrick Mahomes. Like that's the only case I could, I could give you for buying David Johnson because then if he does hit, you're like your team is just stupid good. But otherwise, if you need him to even be an RB two, he could totally flame out. Duke Johnson may take some of his work in the passing game for all we know. Like, and I'm not even so sure in that offense right now. I love Deshaun Watson. Um, but Bill O'Brien's a dumpster heap, and I, I just don't know what to do with the Texans right now. It's it's tough because I do have Watson shares, and I love him, but David Johnson's firmly at the back. Um, Todd Gurley and Melvin Gordon, I think it's a toss-up. I have Gordon ahead and Lev Bell uh, leading the way just on touch load alone. I don't care that he plays for the Jets. And I can see the touchdowns going up as well. Tyler, I'll let you take this one uh, first. Yeah, I went with Melvin Gordon first ahead of Le'Veon Bell just because I think that he could be very efficient in this this Denver offense. I think that this team as a whole can be a lot better than people think. They they got a lot better on the defensive end. They're bringing back Bradley Chubb off of injury. And uh, they, they got Jarrell Casey from the, the Tennessee Titans for peanuts. And they also got A.J. Boye from the Jaguars. So they're definitely doing better to build on the defense. And I think that benefits Melvin Gordon. Along with that, um, they brought in Pat Shermer as their offensive coordinator who ran shotgun 72% of plays last season. And one thing, one knock on Philip Lindsay is that he's not a very good runner out of shotgun. I think that he had like a 30% uh, success rate out of shotgun. And Melvin Gordon was one of the best out of shotgun last season. So I think that that definitely benefits Melvin Gordon. He's also the better pass catcher out of the backfield. And I think that that's really where they're going to use him this season. I, in the back half of the season, they didn't really use Philip Lindsay as the pass catcher that people thought they were going to use him as. It more so went to Royce Freeman, and I don't think that they want to rely on Royce Freeman as the pass catcher this season when they have a guy like Melvin Gordon there. So that's why I have him 
ahead of uh, Le'Veon Bell, also because uh, Mike Munchak is their offensive line coach. Uh, as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, I'm, uh, I'm a big believer in Mike Munchak, and I think that he can, do, uh, he can improve this offensive line this season. With Le'Veon Bell, I still have questions with this, this, his fit in this offense, but like you said, volume is king, and he's going to get a lot of volume in this offense regardless of how Adam Gase feels about him. We've heard – like, it, he says all the good things about Le'Veon Bell, but we know deep down, like, like he, didn't, he didn't want Le'Veon Bell in the first place when he got there. So, um, you know, with Le'Veon, he's going to get the volume. He's also going to get the receiving work probably more so than anybody amongst this group. And like you said, lack of weapons. So he's obviously going to get the work. They also beefed up that offensive line. They, um, Mekhi Beck, they drafted Makai Becton, I think 11 to overall this past season or off season. So yeah, I like what they're doing in, in New York. I just don't like the overall fit with him there. So I think that he still finishes as an RB2. These are all RB2s. I don't think any of these guys really have – the upside to finish inside the top 12, in my opinion. But um, with Todd Gurley, um, you know, they say that they have uh, 11 first-round picks on their on their offense, but, like, I still don't see the, the talent that they have on the offensive line. They're just not as good on the offensive line. I don't think that he gets the same passing volume that Devonta Freeman got last season, which I think was four catches a game. I don't think that he picks up on that. Um, the one benefit that he has is that he's just in um, an offense that's going to get that's going to run a lot of plays. Like they're going to pass the ball a lot, and he's going to have a lot of opportunities in the red zone. It's just a very well-run offense. So I like that for Todd Gurley, and obviously uh, David Johnson's in the back. I just don't like this offense as a whole. Um, David Johnson just like I think that he's the least talented amongst these guys. And he probably has the same in injury concerns that Todd Gurley has. It's just that when Todd Gurley's on the field, he's just a better player than David Johnson. So along with that, Bill O'Brien's his, his head coach. Um, I forgot who they had, um, who they're replacing at Bill O'Brien as the, the play caller this season. I think it's Tim Jim Kelly. Kelly. Yeah, but he's, he's Kelly. like a Bill O'Brien like brainchild. Like he works exactly. under him as a graduate assistant. So it like it, like take Bill O'Brien and make him twenty years younger, and that's their offensive coordinator. Like that's, exactly. So it's not going to get much the better. Same exact thing. The only hope that I have for David Johnson is just uh, Bill O'Brien no longer running the offense. Kind of they tailor their offense more so towards the talent because I've heard a lot of people say plug and play David Johnson for Carlos Hyde. No, that is not how the NFL works. Uh, Carlos Hyde is a better runner in between the tackles. So the upside for David Johnson is if they are using him in the passing game, which yesterday he actually had a quote where he said his goal was still 1,000 and 1,000, which lets me know that he at least is planning to be used in the passing game. So, I mean, is the potential there? Yes. Am I going to have David, John or David Johnson on any teams? Probably not. Am I going to have Duke Johnson on almost every single team I have? Yes. That's just how I feel about that situation. So David Johnson will, um, he, he's, He's splitting with another player at the bottom there. I think this is two-tiered for me. I think the first tier goes Melvin Gordon and Le'Veon Bell. Um, I just think, Tyler, for all the reasons you said, Melvin Gordon, I've been calling him like a discount Alvin Kamara. He's going to get the valuable touches in this offense. Um, is he going to dominate the rush share? No. Phillip Lindsay's a good runner. But where did the, the Broncos feel like Melvin Gordon was such an upgrade 
where they threw $16 million at him over two years. I believe that is in the red zone and in the passing game. So Melvin Gordon's going to get, and those, those touches, red zone and passing game touches are the most valuable in fantasy football for running backs. So Melvin Gordon is going to get that workload in the highly important places. So I think you're going to see a guy that's probably only going to go like 1,200, maybe 1,400 yards from total scrimmage. Um, I think upwards of 50 receptions for him and maybe double digit touchdowns, depending on how good their offense is. Um, I, I don't know if he'll reach the touchdown mark, but definitely I think him and Le'Veon Bell are probably, if I needed to get an RB2 from this group, I would take them. Lev Bell probably has the most upside because like Jordan said, he is going to see all those touches. And if you're scared of Frank Gore, as opposed to Bilal Powell, and I think Ty Montgomery they had last year, shame on you. Like uh, it's clearly a downgrade in terms of the talent that is behind Le'Veon Bell. So I think it goes for me, Melvin Gordon one, Le'Veon Bell two, and then David Johnson and Todd Gurley. It's pretty much equal. I don't think Todd Gurley is a good fit at all in this Atlanta offense, but he does bring elite red zone rushing. That is where I think he can still be very, very powerful as a player. So he can score a lot of touchdowns. Like if, if you told me Todd Gurley led the league in touchdowns, I wouldn't be surprised. If you told me he led the league in touches, I would be shocked. Like this guy is not going to get that many touches. I think they're going to use him smart, like in a smart capacity. I don't think they're going to go out there. And people think Gurley's like, I see Gurley ranked like top six. I just, I, I wonder what the thought process is behind that because you're looking at a guy that arthritis does not get better. I don't care how much work you put in. It, it, it is a debilitating like uh, disease, uh, if you want to call it that. It is something that it does not get better. So Todd Gurley, his, he's going to need to be managed. He sat out camp today because he's getting managed. I personally don't want part in a guy who's being managed this early in the season. I had that happen with Doug Baldwin a few years ago, and I know it happened with Arian Foster a few years ago. Those guys retire. So I'm not saying Todd Gurley is going to retire, but it's not, it's not great for him. And that's really just how I have this group uh, shake out. I think Melvin Gordon, Le'Veon Bell, pretty much interchangeable, um, both top 16-ish guys for me, I think. And then Todd Gurley and David Johnson, more like the – I think Gurley we have at 18, and then David Johnson's more of like a 21 kind of guy where <laughs> – the ceiling is nice for David Johnson, but I just don't see a way in which he achieves that. Like, as much as you want to say, even that one bad run against the Tampa Bay Bucks last year, like, yes, that was awful. He looked disgusting. But even at that, there were multiple runs, even in games where he played well, that he just lacked the explosion that made him great for that one season in the NFL. And I don't think that comes back. Whether, like, you, he has all the attitude and, and the – the, the right mindset, but I just don't know if you can get that back at such an elite level in the NFL. I think once it's gone, it's gone. And with David Johnson, it looks to be gone. So I'd rather have Duke Johnson personally from that backfield. That's just how I feel about the team. But we'll move on from the aging running backs. And Jordan, I'm very excited to hear how you kind of go about this. What's your favorite strategy to use in redraft? So I get a lot of people asking us this question on Instagram, DMing us or whatever. And what I want to know is, do you prefer value do you prefer upside? Do you go RB heavy, wide receiver heavy? Like what's your, cause you don't want to set in stone a strategy, but what's your main strategy going into a draft? Like this is what I want to do at least in the early rounds because the late rounds is really just play the board. Yeah. So just to kind of touch on that a little bit, mine, especially this off season has been ro robust RB like all day. Um, and especially because I've been playing in a lot of super flex leagues. Like we talked about Nick Chubb and Josh Jacobs earlier. I actually got them at the, at the two, three turn in a super flex redraft league. Wow. So I started with Christian McCaffrey and I followed up with <laughs> Nick Chubb and Josh Jacobs as my first three. 
Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's just the way I've been building my teams lately. Uh, it's, I don't know what it is about the board, but definitely I've been finding a lot of value wide receivers late. And that's what it comes down to is like, you look at how deep receiver is and everyone talks about how deep receiver is, but then they still go and draft a receiver in the first or second round in a redraft league, which doesn't make any sense. Like that, that that's completely debunking your whole philosophy on wide receivers. And then you look at tight ends. No one wants to draft a tight end early. So where does that leave you? It leaves you going quarterback early, which is crazy unless it's super flex or you just go RB heavy. But every, the problem is, is you, you cannot fall into the trap of, oh, there's already been six straight running backs. Do I want to make it a seventh or do I want to grab Devontae Adams or Michael Thomas or whoever it is? You just have to follow that and just take that running back because the chances, especially in like you guys talking about half PBR, the chances of that wide receiver returning value are so, so small compared to getting a value wide receiver late. That could still be a wide receiver two, wide receiver three, but that RB1, that RB2 is going to be infinitely more valuable for you down the line. I know it's gross to take an Austin Eckler over a DeAndre Hopkins, but that is like 100% the play in redraft this year, especially in half PPR. Then you look at like value kind of in later rounds. Another thing I've noticed, especially for me, is I've been kind of... For some reason, I've been drafting those middling tight ends in like that seventh, eighth round, and I'm not happy about it. But <laughs> I, I just, I don't know what it is. I just, I've been, I keep doing it. And, and everyone says, don't do it. You know, fourth, fifth round, especially do not take a tight end. Um, but one thing I will say when that I'm here is I would be fading Mark Andrews hard this year, like really hard. And I don't know how you guys feel about Mark Andrews, but I'm, in the camp that he, his touchdown rate is unsustainable. His I, volume even to me is unsustainable. unsustainable. Like we're talking about a guy who had an over a 10% touchdown rate per target, which is just disgusting. It, that's so good. But <laughs> it's like, why are you taking that guy over Zach Ertz when Zach Ertz is going to get the volume, right? You have to take the volume. And if Marquise Brown gets targets, Miles Boykin gets targets, Devin DuVernay drafted gets targets, JK Dobbins gets targets. Mark Ingram, who only saw like 30 targets last year, gets more targets. All those guys could take a step up where, and then especially Hollywood, because I think he was on pace for almost 100 targets with, when you count his 16-game pace. I just don't know if I believe in Mark Andrews. The only thing he has, well, not the only thing he has going for him, but the one thing is he gets a lot of deep targets, which is really good. But I definitely think the strategy this year from what I'm seeing Take those RBs early. It may seem a little gross at first, but you'll feel a lot better when you can get a DJ Moore in the fourth round or an AJ Brown in the fourth round, fifth round, Calvin Ridley in the fifth round. That's where the value lies is those wide receivers that go in round four, five, six, tons of value. And then you fade it for like five or six rounds to like the double digits and you get the later guys after that. But definitely you want to get at least two running backs early, if not three. And, and it'll, it'll feel gross at first to take that third running back. Like we're talking about a Melvin Gordon or a Le'Veon Bell, you're not going to like it. But in the end, you're going to be building yourself such a safe, solid floor that you can afford to get risky with tight ends, wide receivers, quarterbacks down the line that you'll feel much better about your lineup, I think, in the end. Yeah, that's, that's definitely the way to approach it. Uh, I always say if you're going to draft a receiver in the first three rounds, make it only one. Do not go – to like two of your first three picks need to be running backs. I don't care if – I mean – Le'Veon Bell and Melvin Gordon, I'm fine with in round three. If you're doing Todd Gurley, uh, you're kind of asking for it at that point because if you're having him as your RB2, that's, that's a risky game. That's Russian roulette, honestly, because I'm not banking on a guy going to a new system with arthritis in his knee. But at the same time, if there is a guy, say, like, I've seen drafts where, like, Julio Jones will fall to, like, the late teens, like the 20s, and you already started with a running back, 
then you could maybe take a Julio Jones there. If you believe he's in that top tier, I believe it is Julio Devontae Adams and Michael Thomas in that top tier. Those are the, those are the three that I will touch. And then later on, you can just wait and get a DJ more. So I a hundred percent am on board with you there. I think that is the way to approach things. Um, kind of getting into later round draft strategy. I do want to get some of your sleepers here. I personally am going to be targeting no quarterbacks or tight ends until at least after like the 10th round, unless like Carson Wentz is sliding just because every year we chase that late round quarterback. And at this point, everyone knows the criteria. So those guys have completely moved up like Deshaun Watson, Kyler Murray, even a guy like Josh Allen, who I don't love. Those guys are all the way, like they're going in sixth or seventh round now. So I will be avoiding quarterbacks that early. And instead I'm going to kind of go into the guys that I'm going to be drafting here. I'm going to be going after a Cam Newton who's currently going as QB 21. And then I'll maybe hedge that bet with the Gardner Minshew late last two picks in my draft, get those two. And I'm feeling good. That's not in Superflex, Obviously in Superflex it's different, but for primarily our listeners, I don't think play Superflex. It's pretty much just like your cut and dry standard home fantasy league. So with that, I'm targeting like those two quarterbacks, really like the late, late, late guys. And then at tight end, Tyler has completely sold me on him. But a guy like Irv Smith is someone that I'm, I would love to get. A guy like Noah Fant is another player that I would love to get. These guys that are athletic, have the yak ability that can just really create. And there is the potential for them to see an increased target share in their second year in the NFL. So I'll, I'll take a chance on those year two breakouts because both of these guys fit the criteria to be those out of nowhere players that really just either move into the top 10 or for no offense, move into the top six because he has that pedigree. So that's the way I'm approaching it. Jordan, who are some of the sleepers that you're targeting like late in your drafts? So it's a mix of a lot of guys, actually. It's, it's really unfortunate because the one guy that I target the most is Marvin Jones, but you asked me for outside top 100 and he's 96. So <laughs> if you can get him, get him, but he's, he's, he doesn't fit the criteria. So I just mentioned him anyways, but I'm talking about Mike Williams. I don't know if you guys saw my tweet today, actually. I was looking up some research for this show. Kenny Galladay. With Kenny Galladay, yes, right? Yes. So if you, I mean, follow me on Twitter, at your boy Jay Rich, you know, got to do my plug. <laughs> but if you look at his stats, like his, his advanced stats, they line up almost exactly with Kenny Galladay's. Kenny Galladay's got a bit more volume, but air yards, air yards percentage, um, yards of separation, cushion, like everything is basically right in line but Mike Williams is 122 overall and Kenny Galladay is probably what in the thirties or forties. Yeah. And it just comes down to a lot of things like touchdowns. Kenny Galladay had 11. Mike Williams had two. Matt Stafford, much better than Tyrod Taylor. But if you're talking about redraft or dynasty, kind of whatever way you want to look at it, there is a potential there for Mike Williams to become Kenny Galladay because all these stats align so perfectly, not to say that it's going to happen, but there is value there. Next on my list is Deontay Johnson at 109. Big Absolutely. fan of Deontay Johnson, like I am with Juju. I think the volume's going to be there. I think it was Tyler who touched on the actual past 10 for Big Ben. You said maybe 600. I would say maybe 650, right? Like, I think, I think, ben, I think Ben's going over 600 basically guaranteed. Um, you look at when he had Juju and AB, they both were over 160 targets, which is insane. But even if Deontay can see over 100, over 120, he may get 70, 80, 90 receptions to where he's definitely a value in later rounds. Next on my list is Golden Tate at 150. Golden Tate's probably going to be the wide receiver one. I am fading Darius Slayton like the plague because he's going to be overvalued. Yes, he had eight touchdowns last season. I don't think he's going to see that this year unless everyone gets injured again, which I guess could happen given this roster. 
but I'm a big fan of Golden Tate. He was also very successful with Daniel Jones. I believe in his small sample with Jones, he would have been wide receiver 12 in points per game. Then like we touched on Jalen Rager at 138. I'm, I love Jalen Rager, man. Like if you watch mine and race stuff, massive fan of Rager, he could easily be the wide receiver one. Um, and then of course you could add Deshaun Jackson on that list where I think he was like 178 on that fan pros list. And the other guys that you can't sleep on are these Carolina wide receiver twos. Like, yes, Christian McCaffrey may get 130 targets, but either Curtis Samuel or Robbie Anderson will be fantasy relevant as a wide receiver three wide receiver four. Cause that offense is going to pass like crazy. They may be dumb boss, but both those guys are extremely fast, can get downfield and can make plays once they get the ball in their hands. I think Oh, no, I just uh, continue. I just want to ask a question about those two after. So finish what you were going to say, though. No worries. So I just think that Curtis Samuel and Robbie Anderson are both values at. So Curtis Samuel is 180 overall. So he's probably not even getting drafted. And Robbie Anderson at 158. If you want to take a shot in the last round, both I think are tremendous values. So between those two, I have a clear preference. Who are you personally uh, value aside just straight up? If you could only pick one of them, who would you take? Man, that's really hard. I think I would take Robbie Anderson, honestly. Really? Okay. I'm a Curtis Samuel yeah. guy just because I believe he's, he's electric after the catch. And with Teddy Bridgewater, you're looking for someone that can really create yards on their own because Bridgewater is going to hit you in open field. Like he'll hit the accurate pass, but it's on you to kind of get those extra yards. DJ Moore obviously is excellent in that aspect. I know we kind of hear the same thing year after year, like Curtis Samuel's this electric receiver, whatever. I think this might actually be the year that it all comes together. I don't know how bad his uh, stats were with Kyle Allen last year. Honestly, I haven't looked into Curtis Samuel that much, but just this is strictly off the eye test. I think he's a really good fit with Teddy Bridgewater. I think with that offense and what we saw from Joe Brady, I think Curtis Samuel is one of my favorite guys to grab late, although I will have a lot of DJ Moore. I think Curtis Samuel, I wouldn't mind grabbing another one because this, this kind of goes under the radar with Curtis Samuel. Also, he played running back at Ohio State, and they don't really have a really good backup running back. I mean, Reggie Bonifant, if you want to consider him that, so there is a potential, say, if Christian McCaffrey misses a game or two, that Curtis Samuel gets additional reps as a running back, just looking for ways to add value. Um, if you want to talk about avenues for growth, Curtis Samuel could potentially become one of those, like, Ty Montgomery types, like, maybe where he just sneaks in and gets, like, 10 carries or something in a game where the starter's out. That's just one thing with Curtis Samuel. But, yeah, those all the sleepers that you named, uh, I personally was out on Golden Tate, and then Tyler – who's actually done an incredible job of convincing me on Irv Smith, uh, Golden Tate, Noah Fant, uh, amongst other players, Deontay Johnson. He was the first person that even mentioned it to me. So yeah, Tyler, you've sold me on <laughs> practically like half the people that Jordan just named. Um, who are some of your sleepers for this season, Tyler? Yeah, some guys that I, I think that are going very late and I, I think they are going to get a lot of volume. One guy to mention is Jameson Crowder, who I think is going like uh, pick 122 or something. He's going to be the clear number one target in this offense. I think that a blurb came out a few days ago that he's clearly the number, uh, the best receiver out there, which might move up his ADP. But as of right now, he's still uh, outside the top 100. He had a 24% target share with Sam Donald last season. So I think that's definitely intriguing. Um, I think that has to do with Adam Gase just loving to spam like any kind of slot, any kind of drag <laughs> route, anything that, that, uh, gets the ball uh, that throws the ball closest to the line of scrimmage. Like that, that's just how the offense runs. Another guy that I like to target is Jack Doyle out in Indianapolis with Phil Rivers coming in there. He's clearly a guy that likes to target two different, or he likes to target the slot, 
the running backs and the tight ends. And I think that Jack Doyle going as I think um, he's going mid to late a hundreds. He's like right now. So, so virtually. Yeah. So, so if you're looking for a late round guy to get as your, your, as a, as a tight end that could potentially finish as a starter, someone who can get a lot of volume and be uh, moderately consistent. I think Jack Doyle's a, a guy to grab. Yeah. With those two names, I feel like they're just so gross to watch. Like, like if you told me on a Sunday that I had to sit down and watch Jack Doyle and Jamison Crowder with money on the line, I would just be so upset with that. Like, I understand the fantasy appeal with them because it does make sense. I mean, they, they are productive players and they're going to see high volume, whatever. Jack Doyle was a pro bowler last year. We don't need to get into that, though. That's just insane to me. But um, Mind yeah, those, those two make a ton of sense. So, I mean, I've, I think that wraps everything up. Um, yeah, that, that wraps everything up. So once again, um, Jordan, uh, you said your Twitter handle is at Chaboy J Rich. So C H A boy J Rich. Okay, yes, perfect. So Nailed if you it. don't follow him, one of my favorite follows everything they do on destination Debbie, uh, Jordan pretty much creates everything I want to say, like in terms of editing and also just putting stuff together, uh, you've done n- nothing short of incredible work with what you guys have done at destination Debbie. I am literally honored to have been able, or Tyler and I are honored to have been able to have you on the pod. I loved the conversation. And if you are willing to come back, I would love to get your, your thoughts on a lot more dynasty talk, maybe later on, either during the season, off season, whatever it may be, because obviously it's redraft season. But what you guys, in my opinion, specialize at is dynasty. Like you guys know your stuff and it's only four or five months in, but I can already tell you're one of the best in the industry. So Definitely would love to have you back. Loved having you on. And yeah, if you don't follow him already, make sure you follow him at Chaboy J Rich on Twitter. Yeah, man. Uh, honestly, to both you guys, thank you so much. Um, I know you say you're honored, but honestly, I'm honored to be on the pod. And if you want to have me back, I'll absolutely be here. Uh, but yeah, like, I am mostly dynasty focused. So I may say some stuff that's like you guys have never heard of super flex, tight end premium, Devi, like it's, it's all a niche market, but when I say that it's so much fun and like even for Ray and I, Ray's built this whole community on Patreon. If you want to join the Patreon, you want to learn more about Devi, which is all like the college side of fantasy football, patreon.com forward slash all gas to check that out. There's all the different tiers. He has his Devi rankings, cornerstone rankings, which are a combination of Devi and NFL rankings. It's just, there's so much to learn for fantasy football. And honestly, it only will make you a better player learning all that side for the Debbie side, knowing these college players a year before they even come out, like knowing that Rondell Moore could be the first wide receiver off the board, Rashad Bateman, uh, Tyler Vaughn's even all these guys like Jalen Waddle. Like there's so much to know in football, but I understand the appeal with just knowing the fancy side, but I would definitely encourage you guys check out the YouTube channel. It's destination Debbie on YouTube you know, check out the Patreon, follow me on Twitter. There is a lot of information out there, but you guys, honestly, you guys kill it. You guys really do. I was checking out some of your stuff today. And, and even before you asked me to be on the show, I've seen you guys on Twitter and you guys do an excellent, excellent job. Thank, and, I really appreciate that. That that's, uh, brings, brings the smiles out. It brings the smiles out. So yeah. No, you guys, that, you guys do an excellent, excellent job. Like I, I, I mean that with like the most sincere possible way. Like you said, you saw my Calvin Ridley video and tried to like do the same thing. It's, it's a lot of work though. And I, and I know that you know that how much work it is to do that kind of stuff. And Ray does a tremendous job. He edits most of his own work. So like, 
what you guys see from me is usually what's actually visual, the graphics, the color schemes, all those things. But he does a lot of the editing on his own. Like that yeah. dude's the guy who just works, man. Like yeah, absolutely. he works more than anybody. His own right. uh, both of you guys are for yeah. sure. Um, before we go, you did mention a few of those wide receivers. I personally have kind of almost tanked my startup this year because I know how good this wide receiver class is for next year. So really quick, um, kind of before whatever season happens, whatever, um, who's your running back one in the next year's class and who's your t- uh, wide receiver one if you already have them? Okay, so I'll give you, I'll give you my top tier to make it to give okay. you a bit yeah, more that's fine. That's right? Fine. Number one running back right now is probably Travis Etienne and I don't love it, but it's because I think he has the highest ceiling. Then there's okay. Najee Harris and Chuba Hubbard as tier one. They're basically the undisputed tier one, top three running backs. Next tier is what it is, but those are basically your top three. I hope Chuba can be running back one, but I think it's Etienne for now. But Najee is probably the most complete running back in the class, but there are fears over I his agree. age, right? Yeah. His age is a problem. He'll get drafted at 23, which that lines with Carlos Hyde, Tony Michelle, a bunch of not so great <laughs> running backs. Yeah. Then you look at wide receiver class. It's Rashad Bateman at one for me, wide receiver out of Minnesota. If you don't know anything about him, please go watch him. He's the best receiver in college football. He already opted out. He's good to go. Michael then there's Thomas Rondell Mask. Moore. Yeah. Then there's Rondell Moore, number two, out of Purdue. He already opted out as well. And then you have Jamar Chase at LSU. He's probably going to play. So we may see some Jamar Chase this year. And then fourth is Jalen Waddle, wide receiver out of Alabama. And probably at five would be Devonta Smith who I think may pop into tier one. We did a film, we did a film session with uh, the patrons, I think a couple weeks ago, that dude is good, man. And he runs really, really good routes. Uh, Smith is someone who will probably be drafted in the first round. If you don't know anything about Devonta Smith, for some reason, check him out as well. He's a really, really talented wide receiver. Absolutely. My thing with Smith is he just needs to gain weight. But like once that weight hits a certain mark, uh, he's, Next, like, Hollywood Brown-esque type of guy. He's that explosive. But anyways, yeah, um, I would love to get in, like, more dynasty uh, college player talk because I'm a football junkie. I know Tyler kind of shares that same sentiment. We both really just look into everything and use your platform also to help us kind of guide what exactly we're looking at. But definitely, definitely would love to have you back on to talk more in-depth about the dynasty side of things because we are getting into that as well. But once again, thank you for coming on. And yeah uh good luck with all the thank redrafts so much. this season <laughs> oh man redraft is no thank you so much tyler and gadiel it's it's honestly it's a it's a pleasure um to have you guys reach out to me and say that you guys love all my content um honestly i love all your content too so don't think that you guys aren't doing a great job you guys run a really good podcast um you guys do great work and and talking with you i know like i i see it when i or when i listen to you guys but i know firsthand how knowledgeable you guys are and you guys really do the work and definitely if you're not following these guys and you're listening for me for some reason please follow their show please check out their stuff they do really really good work and it and it means a lot to me that they reach out to me but i definitely want them to get the right recognition they deserve as well awesome awesome all right thank you and yeah that's that's it so peace guys that wraps things up for our conversation with Jordan Richards. If you want us to answer your questions, make sure to follow us on social media. Our Instagram is at First Take Fantasy and our Twitter is at FT Fantasy FB. And Jordan's Twitter is at ChaboyJRich. That's at C-H-A Boy J Rich. We'll be back on Friday with another special guest where we'll be identifying the wide receivers that you do not want to draft at their current values in 2020.